Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jay Allen Show. Yeah, I know that it's Friday, April the 24th, and normally you'd be listening to a Safety FM mini episode. But, 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 so many people seem to enjoy the conversation that we were having with Uncle Bill that we decided to ask him to come right back on to the show. So I'm not going to take a lot of your time. Bill and I go for a while here during this conversation. Now, I will tell you this conversation is pre-recorded, but we got it started right on the cusp of the beginning of the recording. We didn't waste any time. So please take a listen and listen to your follow-up questions that you had for Bill exclusively here on the Jay Allen Show. This episode will be commercial-free because it's a mini-episode, or normally it would be considered a mini-episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, I have to tell you, um, even though it has only been, let me see, we released it yesterday, and yeah, so it's been two days. We'll say two days for this. But man, I did not know how controversial of a figure you were. I, I, I didn't know either. Well, that's the fun part, because I have people asking me questions, saying on how they agree with you. Some people willing to give their name. Some people not willing to give their name. Some people wanting me to just directly say, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? So, number one, I have to tell you, I host another show as well. That's called the Rated R Safety Show. And this particular show, I normally do it daily, live and in real time. And I had somebody jump on by the name of Dr. Todd Lusheen to make sure that I understood clearly that you are not on the national delegates, that you are on a local one. So I thought it was oh, kind of interesting that, that they wanted to make sure that I knew this. I, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I, in, in no way, shape or form did I mean to presume uh, 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 a station beyond my own. Uh, I, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I took I took the inf- I took the information as you were telling me. I mean, I didn't look at it. It was like, oh, my Lord, he is he has done the unforgiven and said something that was out of out of school. We'll put it to you that way. But I just thought it was interesting because they referenced it and they put it inside of the chat box. It actually goes into my screen. Um, so it flashes okay. it because we, we do a live stream at the same time where it's a video. And so and the, it referenced right away that there is a huge difference between the two to make sure that that I knew that and the audience knew that. So I thought it was kind of funny. Okay. Um, now, here's here's the funny thing. Um, so I was elected as a delegate of my local chapter. Um, and, and I was sent to the national conference, right, called the House of Delegates, which is where all the delegates go. Okay, uh, I'm unaware of any other kind of delegate, but the, I'm unaware of a lot of things. That <laughs> well, let me start off with this. So I have a message that came in that I want to read to you because this person was okay with me reading it, you know, on the air, as we'll call it here. It goes, message to Bill. I think your concerns are valid. My wife is a corporate risk professional for her organization. I am a consultant. We laugh at the letters after everyone's names. Our industry is ridiculous. When they started awarding CEUs for getting other credentials and therefore more money, I saw a disaster in the making. So I am a CSP, a CHMM, and a CIE. 
they are three distinctly different credentials with little overlap. Explain to me how if you are a CSP, an ASP first, a CHST, well, alphabet soup here, OHST, STS, dash C, STS, and a CIT or whatever it is, how having all these actually helps your credibility. It is becoming a, a diploma mill. Does this mean that to keep up, I need to take more and more tests to shovel out more and more money at the time? The CSP is supposed to be an all-encompassing, explain to me, if you are a CSP, why would need to do all of the other certifications? Only if you are behind on your research, maybe, or, or let me see. Wow, there's a lot here. Or just you, or you just don't have to take that many classes, or do you have to do something else? I have a college, I have a colleague, better saying, who has a PhD in toxicology. He has worked in the safety field and university professor for over 40 years. People ask him how to come, how come he has not anything else? He tells them, What do you think I taught to those who have the alphabet soup? To your point, I generally agree. In the past, they wanted a degree and some certification in jobs because it showed that you had a discipline to get a degree and that you were supposed to know how to think. I believe that that mode of thinking is way outdated, especially with literally thousands of educational opportunities online, plus experience, focus experience with some self-study usually teaches you more. The best way of training someone is usually having the opportunity to teach them. So that was his comment. What do you think? I know there's a lot there. No, uh, I, I think I followed. Okay. And you correct me if I don't answer it. Okay. So first of all, um, my understanding of how the worlds of certifications work, right? Not just BCSP, but all certifications everywhere, right? Is people either have uh, a stepping stone sort of system, right, where you get the final credential and you're done. That's all you put after your name. <laughs> For instance, you put PhD after your name. How often do you also put BS? Uh, not often at all. I don't think I ever have. Okay, but but in theory, you could. Right. Right. But you, you don't need to because everyone knows you have a BS to have a PhD. So that's one way of doing certifications. My understanding is that the BCSP has chosen to do their certifications like, OK, well, I'm a construction and health safety technician. OK. And so in theory, if you, Jay Allen, are not a construction and health safety technician, but let's say you go and pass the CSP exam, okay? Then you are a CSP, a certified safety professional. And the two don't apparently overlap. Now, the, the difficulty is if you go speak to people outside of the safety profession, they assume that the CSP is the highest and therefore the top, and that it encompasses everything beneath it. There's nothing wrong with the way, in, in, excuse me again, there's nothing wrong in my personal opinion with the way the BCSP has chosen to do it, but there is something wrong if 
the outside world doesn't understand that. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Absolutely. Because let's be realistic. It's exactly how you're saying. Most people believe that if you have a a CSP, you are the coup de grace of everything. You you are, you are the subject matter expert. There is nothing higher. And so, and the funny thing is that if people don't know, and depending on what field you're in, of course, some people look at a CSP being more valued than a PhD, depending on who you're talking to, which, you know, has some, has has some interesting things that are associated to it. Exactly. And, and let's not even lay that at the doorstep of the BCSP. All of us in safety have a responsibility to the people outside of our field and also to the people inside of our field to clarify things like this. Okay? Now, I also understand what he's saying about his colleague who's saying, hey, man, I got a PhD. I don't need any certifications. Uh, back in the last century, uh, when when I did business consulting and uh, 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 business process uh, definition, engineering, re-engineering, things like that, knowledge management tools, it was right around the time when uh, Microsoft and several other software companies started offering certifications for working with their various platforms and tools and things like that. And there was this rush of consultants who went out and got these credentials. And there was a rush of uh, uh, W-2 employees working for companies running out and getting these certifications and saying, I, I deserve more money. I've got this certification. Meanwhile, I'm being billed out at $150 an hour to companies like, well, let's not name any names, but several companies in the top 500 and companies outside of the top 500. Uh, And I've got no certifications, right? And my boss at the time, when, when we all asked him at a group meeting, we said, hey, should we go take all these certifications? And he said, why? Certifications are to prove you can do it when you don't have experience. Interesting. Interesting interesting point of view. Well, it's a point of view, right? Right. I bought off on that point of view. Now, we, this is no longer last century, right? If, if you want to work in the safety profession, you either need to be with the same employer for years and years and years, or you need to have some letters after your name, period, end of sentence. Very true. So here's my question then, because I know that a lot of people are going to sit here and go, well, this is just Bill and Jay complaining about what some organization is attempting to do or several organizations are attempting to do with how they're doing certification. I don't know. Are we talking? I think that we're talking, but, you know, I'm I'm kind of trying to give both sides of the coin here because I don't think that if it's it's fair if I just say, hey, let's agree 100 percent, you know, across the board. So my question would be this. What yeah. do you think we can do to correct the problems that we have currently in the industry? And of course, these are opinion questions. So this is asking okay. you what you think should be done to be corrected. 
and what we can do to make it a valid point. Because what happens is anytime that you start talking about credit and credentials and stuff that's related to money, people get very, very hesitant right away. And I know that some people are offended in regards of that. Oh, we're talking about this major corporation that does these things related to helping people in safety. I'm not saying they're what they're doing is wrong. I'm, I'm saying that there's a different approach to take for sure. Okay. So Jay, let me ask you this. How do you prepare an English muffin to eat? How long do we have? Because it could be very long on how we can go into this explanation. Well, no, of course. But, I mean, let's let's do it in real super basic terms, right? right, I mean, right. You cut it in half and toast the two halves. Yes, that's normally exactly okay. how we do it. And and that is that is a very uh, 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 that is a way that is very much in line with the way most people think. Right. Would you agree? I agree. If you watch a movie, you will see someone who's preparing an English muffin do that same thing. So while I was in the Marines, you get the opportunity to live off base once you once you reach Lance Corporal. Okay, so I moved out in town with some roommates because it's, you know, more fun than being in the squad bay. And absolutely (laughs) room clean. So one of my roommates would take an English muffin and stick it without cutting it in half into the microwave, heat it up, cut it in half, butter it, and eat it. Now, when I first saw him do this, I said, what are you, a moron? You don't know how to eat an English muffin? (laughs) Right? I mean, this is is a fairly standard response for a 19-year-old – kid who carries an M60 machine gun for a living. True. (laughs) But this is, this was his response. He said to me, does it really matter to you how the hell I eat an English muffin? And I said, no. (laughs) And, And I understood it right then. So I tried something. I took the whole English muffin without splitting it in half, put it down the slot of the toaster, toasted it, cut it open, buttered it, and ate it, and I liked it. Interesting. Okay. Now, here's another thing you can do. You can cut that same English muffin in half, put the backs together, shove it in the toaster, toast it, it pops up, butter it, and and eat it. And it's a slightly different texture again. Still the same product. It's just prepared differently. Now you go to some restaurants and they cut the English muffin in half, butter it and stick it on the grill face down. Right. Have you ever, have you ever had it that way at a restaurant? Yes, I have. Okay. I have. So now we've, we've talked about multiple ways of preparing the English muffin to eat. They're all different. The end result is the same. The English muffin ends up in your tummy with the butter and jam and honey and whatever else you put on it. But it's it's a different perspective, right? It's a different way of looking at it. We're, to my mind, we're not saying they're wrong. What we're saying is, shouldn't we always be questioning? Right? As a safety professional, isn't it your job to always be questioning? 
Should we ever be happy with, we've always done it this way. No, we should never be happy with that. We've always done it this way. You should always look, you're always looking for improvement. So now, uh, you know, I hate to bring up Tom Peters because, you know, after getting accused of faking data, then he admits 20 years later, yeah, we faked some data, big deal. Um, <laughs> but, but there was a lot of good in what he did also. Okay. I, I have an ethical problem with him and his partner faking data. Okay. I do. That's wrong. It's, it's, it's wrong, but they only fake the data on the first book. And for the other books, supposedly, all their data was correct. And all is the that books, a, is, is that the is that the one in search of of excellence? I just want to make sure that I'm. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that everyone accused him of faking the data on, and he kept denying. And then twenty years later, supposedly, he said, "Oh yeah, we faked that. Sorry." Um, <laughs> But all kinds of people did studies and wrote books after that. And no one has accused any of these people of faking the data. And you can go all the way back. Who was the guy who wrote the very first, well, I guess the very first self-help book was the various Bibles for the various religions. But uh, 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 in in the early 20th century, a guy wrote a book, and it's considered the first self-help book. Oh, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, right? Mm-hmm. Those same concepts that he got from the magnets of industry of his time, okay, or robber barons, if you prefer that term, were, were the same kinds of things that Tom Peters and all the people that Tom Peters sprouted were talking about, right? And and that's basically hire smart people, communicate with your people, ask them questions and get their input, right? That's that's the basic gist of all that kind of management smoke and mirrors, right? Black magic is... Wow, you you went black magic. That's going dark right away. Well, we've already discussed. I have a pension for, you know... (laughs) For the the morbid side of things, yes, I've realized this so far, which is a good thing. I like it. Understand. So, So all of these profits of the business world, even though they were sprouted by Tom Peters, who was a horrible, horrible liar, and we all need to tear down his statues. But all the others that weren't liars, right? And even all the way back to Dale Carnegie, they were all saying, here's what leadership is. Here's how you run a business. Here's how you become successful, right? And what were some of those tenets? Always assume that there's something you don't know. Always look for a better way to do something. Always look to improve. Always listen to your employees, right? These these tenets have been around for a long time. This is what I was taught in the Marine Corps when I became a corporal, right? This is how I was taught to lead people, was you, 
you communicate with people. You never give an order you don't have to, right? You you help people achieve. Okay, so if we buy off on that, and I do, I've drunk the Kool Aid. Then why wouldn't that work for safety, right? So if we look at safety two or safety differently or uh, hop or what, what resilience engineering, whatever you want to call it. Right. Isn't that just taking those same concepts and focusing in the mind safety? And isn't that just an offshoot of shouldn't everybody include the focus of safety when they're thinking about production and other things? No, absolutely. And, and that's exactly what the basis is. Okay. So if we buy off on that, then shouldn't we, the members of the, the world of safety professionals, shouldn't we be constantly striving to improve ourselves? Shouldn't we want to constantly look at what the BCSP does, what the ASSP does, what the National Safety Council does, what OSHA is doing, what the insurance companies are doing. Shouldn't we be looking at all this and trying to make improvements? Well, I would say yes, but here's what happens. You all of a sudden and I all of a sudden are having a conversation giving out names of organizations that do this. So now it makes it seem like we're anti-establishment. It's not that we're questioning it. It's that we're anti-establishment because we don't believe exactly what they say. Or, and this, I'll phrase it better this way, we're not drinking the Kool-Aid because the Kool-Aid has been poured by them. And some people get upset about that. And some of the some of the mail that I've received back was that, why am I trying to make a stand against ASSB? And that's not what I'm doing. It's a question. And a lot of this started off with them wanting to have their conference still in June and they had not canceled it. And of course, this recording, we're doing it on April the 22nd and a lot of stuff is still not open. So I have questioned, why would you want to do that and put what you're calling the safety and health profession at risk when they're still trying to tell you to stay locked up? And I'm talking about the you know the general me, government, depending what area you're in. Let me Let me throw the opposite side of that same coin at you. Okay. Um, why do we, why are we working on canceling the NFL season for this coming season and, you know, making plans to play without spectators, right? And God only knows what's going to happen to Major League Baseball. I find it refreshing that they're still planning to have it. Because it's a want, right? We all want it to happen. Now, right. here's the thing. If it can't happen, or if, let's say, the world is opened up and we're allowed to have it, but a bunch of people just feel ooky about it, right? Or companies say, wait a minute, we're not going to allow our employees to go. As long as those people that choose not to go or aren't allowed to go by their cohabitant, their, their company, their cat, as long as they get <laughs> refunds, is anyone being hurt by planning on the positive? 
And I no, just absolutely not. No, and I don't think that it's uh, it's about planning for the positive. But as we speak right now, it's one of those things that okay, we're kind of close on what the dates are in yeah. regards of what they, what's taking place. I mean, right now, I can tell you there was a new story that came out today that Oktoberfest has already been canceled in Germany. I heard that. And that's October, and that, so that's six months down the road here. So we're talking about essentially something that's about to happen in about two months. So really, right. I mean, right now, if I don't have my plane ticket saying if I didn't live here in Orlando, if I didn't have my plane ticket and I didn't have everything set up, I have to start making these plans. Now, as you are, are aware, a good chunk of hotels are still closed down. Right. So what are we thinking of? I mean, I'll tell you right now in the economy in Orlando in particular, they have refunded over $371 million out of that convention center on people canceling or rescheduling some of their events for this year. And I'm not saying that's what they need to do, but I'm saying we need to start having the conversation because we need to be setting standards because we're the safety and health professionals and we're pushing forward or saying that we're doing this. But at this particular point, I know that at the end of this month, there's supposed to be a conversation about if they're going to do it virtual or not. But is it virtual with a charge? And if there is a charge, are you still charging me full price of what it would cost if I went in person? Because let's be realistic. Yeah, the information's great when you go in person, but a lot of people go because of the networking aspect. Right. Because that's where you're going to get information that is going to enhance your ability to either do your current job or get you that next job or help you hire that person or find out more about this thing called hop or whatever, right? That's what the conference is for. The class is neat, right? Um, but it's the mingling, okay? Right. Now it's, it's the getting drunk. I mean, I mean, it's the mingling, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I only drink at bargains now. So. <laughs> well, I don't drink at all, so I just think it's funny when people go out there and they really get hammered, or the place gets closed down because you know they're buying drinks. For people, I don't drink. That's just my personal choice. So I always find it interesting when I get, hang out with a whole bunch of safety professionals that are I, 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 some I, of the yeah. best drunks I've ever seen. Well, I mean but, that in a good way. <laughs> well, I I understand, but that could easily be misinterpreted, and since we're going to get misinterpreted anyways, let's let's stick to the PowerPoint. Um, <laughs> no, I read a book a very long time ago that's called "Controversy Creates Cash." So believe me, I'm trying to help them in in the best way possible here. Well, so here here's what I don't get. I happen to think that we have uh, a crisis in higher education in this country right now. Okay. I happen to think that it is more and more. uh, um, That's just the wrong word. See, this is why I should have a degree. Um, I I happen to think that it, it is a greater possibility for people to graduate from current accredited institutions in the United States with baccalaureate degrees or higher without having the ability to really think critically, to be more of a follower than a leader, okay? And it's not necessarily bad, but it's a shift from, say, the 1950s. Does that make sense? So far? 
Okay. And that's not every single person and that's not every single institution, right? You're going to get, you're going to get out of all your educational efforts, what you put into them. I'm a firm believer in that. Okay. Now, do I have facts? Nope. Have I done research? Nope. It's a belief I have, which means it's hard for me to switch just like with English muffin. (laughs) So my belief is that if we continue to allow this to happen, and this is not political, this is purely education. We continue to allow this to happen. Then the end product from our universities will will dwindle in value. Okay? So how can I, Bill Stetner, make a change to this? Get real. I can't. But maybe if the ASSP and the BCSP were to look into that and say, you know what? He, he's a jackass and he's a loudmouth, but he's got a point here. You know, hypothetically, if they thought I did have a point and then they started saying, you know what, let's let's embrace diversity and start saying that these other forms of higher education that do not come from traditional education institutions are just as valid as what we're currently receiving. Now you're attacking the money that the colleges make, right? You're, you're saying you don't have to have a degree to be considered capable of thinking independently. Okay. Now we're pressuring them to improve their product, right? Voting with your dollar. That's the American way, isn't it? It sure is. Okay. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to say that everyone with a college diploma is an idiot and can't think on their own. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I believe that it is possible that a higher percentage of graduates do not have the skill sets that we're assigning to them. You know, oh, you've got a degree, so therefore you've got this. Where, where do we pick our leaders? We pick them from college graduates. Well, I, I don't know your politics and you don't know mine, but what do AOC and Donald Trump have in common? Tell me. They both have bachelor's degrees. Now, regardless of politics, it is quite possible that you and everybody listening may think that at least one of these people doesn't do a very good job of critical thinking or analyzing problems. You might even think that of both of them. And yet they both passed critical thinking. Just throwing it out there. (laughs) I know. I'm just smiling very big because I was like, I try not to talk about politics and I'm just like, "Ah." I'm just going to hold it, hold it right here. <laughs> well, and but the thing is, these are two completely polar opposites from a political right. standpoint. So it doesn't matter where you fit in the political spectrum. There's bound to be at least one of these people where you're questioning, how the hell did this person pass critical thinking? 
How did this True. person pass ethics? Right? Well, they both did. And they went to different universities at different times. But according to the accreditation people, they're, they're both qualified and they both went to qualified programs. We're not talking about Trump University, are we? Don't Neither answer that. Ignore that. <laughs> Neither of them went to Trump University. Um, I, I, I jokingly say that. I just want to make sure. Well, I, I understand. And... And that's going to piss a whole mess of people off. And I'm sorry. But me? I, uh, me piss people off? Never. You piss people off? Never. Never heard that happen before. Well, <laughs> I like that we make them think. I don't mean to make them uncomfortable. I would like them to be comfortable being uncomfortable. But, but the basic point is, you know, college accreditation, right? When was the last time that an institution of higher learning in the United States lost their accreditation. Was it DeVry? No, I think, I think DeVry still has theirs. I think we're starting to talk now like ITT tech and stuff along those lines. So, but here's the thing. So no matter what scandal happens, even though the national college amateur athletics organization will not allow a team to play sports from a college for a year or two years or three years because of ethical or moral wrongdoing, right? Or cheating or anything else. No college ever has their accreditation suspended. No matter, no matter what, what we hear, it's always, oh, there's a person to blame. And yet, if we turn that same thing around and look at police departments, fire departments, the military, the government, it doesn't matter. The Houston, Astro- the, the Houston Astros, the New England Patriots. Right. So here, the Houston Astros, right? They cheated. Allegedly, remember, allegedly. Well, no, now people have admitted it and they've shown pictures of people wearing these wires and stuff and they figured it all out. Isn't the whole point of professional sports to teach the youth of America and any other youth that want to join in, right? Canadian youth, Mexican youth, Guatemalan youth, doesn't matter. To teach them right from wrong. And ethics isn't that the whole point? That's, that's what one. That's what one hopes, of course. Right. So, you know, let's let's leave the Patriots out of it because people get all upset when I talk about them. Well, so, now people won't, people won't take it so personal now that Brady's a Buccaneer. So I think it'll be okay. And, and Gronkowski's down there too now. So, <laughs> Major League Baseball says they can't take the trophy away from the Houston Astros. Then the trophy means nothing. Right? And the argument is, oh, we cheated in all the other games, but not this one. Really? That's your argument? No. Where, even, even if I were an Astros fan, 
and I like several players on the team, why would I want them to still have the rings and the trophy? Right? And mm-hmm. and you can make an argument. Well, how can we give it to anyone else? So don't have one. Don't have a winner. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but if we think outside the box, we can find new and inventive solutions that allow us to bridge from what we thought in the past to what we think now. And so organizations do this all the time. Right. And that's that's why they keep going and they get bigger and stronger and faster and cooler. So why wouldn't we, the safety profession, want to do that? I mean, it, it just makes sense to me. And it's so let's let's play a game real quick then. So if you were going to give them a proposition on how this could actually turn for them, what would you say? How would you actually say this is what we need to take a look at moving forward. What would it look like? Because this is the thing. I want people to think of solutions as well. I don't sure. want it just to be us just talking and going, well, let's speculate this and then do that. And this is what other industries do because you know that someone's going to take a listen to this. They're going to jot down some notes and then they're going to say, here's my idea and move forward with it. So if you're going to actually develop the plan for them, might as well kind of give them the, you know, the whole thing. Okay. Um, and, and it can't upset anyone more than I've already upset them, right? I mean, at this particular point, here's the funny thing. The podcast is tracking very well and normally come two days after it comes out. It does. I mean, they do well, but not as well as yours is doing, which I find hilarious because what's funny is that people will comment, but don't say my name. People will ask questions and some are okay with saying the name, but they don't want associations, you know, knowing who they are, which whatever, be whoever you want to be. Here's the thing. If we can get everybody to question the status quo, not just in safety, but in everything, right? We, we talk about uh, 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 bias and we talk about uh, isms, right? Racism, sexism, uh, uh, sizeism, uh, uh, genderism. Many, 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 many isms, and I've probably left a bunch out, and I'm very sorry. Um, I'm just not that bright, okay? So shouldn't we always be questioning? Shouldn't we always be at least, even if we don't want to stand up and say, hey, I'm over here, count me, shouldn't we at least be adding our voice to the question of from the crowd saying, should should we be trying to improve? Not necessarily what this idiot thinks, right? Now, I'm not on with Bill. I'm just saying we should be trying to improve, right? And so it's great that they're saying things. I got to tell you, I'm shocked. I I really didn't think uh, I had anything that was you know worth listening to. But as far as an idea, wouldn't it make sense? to use the same business processes that we want people to use in their safety programs and that business leaders are looking to use, right? So let's look at a process, look at the end result, and see if the end result is what we want. 
I mean, that's that's not so hard. No, not at all. I, that, I mean, that's that's pr- a pretty simple process right there. Right now, both the BCSP and the ASSP want to say that they're diverse, and diversity is a good thing. It, it, our our national zeitgeist right now is diversity, and I, I want a double word score for using zeitgeist. Um, <laughs> so. We want everyone to not only feel that they are being heard, but we also want to actually listen to them and incorporate their ideas because we're finding that everything works better if we get input from different perspectives, right? You know, if you design PPE as a company, and everyone who designs it is male, and everyone who designs it is six foot four, you're not as likely, it's not impossible for them to design proper PPE for a female who happens to be five foot four, but it it's more difficult for them to view the world from that perspective than if you add a female person who is five foot four to your team. You're starting to get into Abby Ferry world here because she's very, well, I mean, as you are, she, I mean, she's, I mean, oh, she really okay. goes after this side of the PPE as you are already aware. I mean, I'm just bringing it up. Well, okay. And, and please, and, and hold on. And, and that's Abby, that's, that's Abby Ferry from the safety justice league. Just in case you can hear that exclusively on safety FM, not a plug or anything. Okay, and just in case my liking what she has to say gets her in trouble, let me disavow uh, any any context there. Uh, I just happen to think she has a great idea. Um, so now, do I. But, but so shouldn't shouldn't we as safety professionals want to embrace the people who come up through industry? Wouldn't they possibly have a different perspective than if I graduate high school, I go to 10 years of college, I graduate, I've got my PhD, and, you know, then I decide I want to be a safety person, right? Now, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to college, but it's definitely a different perspective than someone who started on an assembly line and has been all the different jobs at that particular plant, they're going to have a different perspective of safety. And their perspective is not better. That's not what I'm saying. But it is different. And isn't that what we're talking about when we say diversity of thought? Well, one would hope that that's at least what everybody else is open-minded to. Okay, so whether or not you let that person take the test to be a CSP is is a whole nother matter. But shouldn't you allow that person to be heard at the national level of the American Society of Safety Professionals, right? Shouldn't that person be allowed to be a professional member Now, 
now I know what you're going to say, or I know what the, what's the, what's the antithesis of advocates? Convocates? Go ahead. We we can run with that. Okay. So the convocates, I love that. I've made a word. Um, I know you you can start using it on the uncle bill videos going forward. I may, or I might throw it into a Dirk bloodbath story, but you know, this whole idea that a profession has to have a barrier to entry. Um, well, it's nice for a profession to have a barrier to entry because then it's attractive for people to join it. Okay. There's job security, there's income security, but being a professional is not about simply getting paid to do something. And I, I did a safety minute on this, bringing up the Houston Astros, right? So is being a professional about being a member of a profession or is it about being a person who exudes professionalism, right? If, if, if you're working in a hospital and one of your coworkers says to you, I really like working with Dr. Jones. She's such a professional. What, what context do you take that? What do you think your coworker means? Do they mean Dr. Jones has had more classes than anyone else? Or that Dr. Jones has been a doctor longer than anyone else? Or do they mean that Dr. Jones typifies, exemplifies what you think of when you think of a doctor. So, so Dr. Jones might be brand new, fresh out of college, or Dr. Jones might have been there for 30 years. But Dr. Jones works well with their teammates and respects their coworkers and works well with patients and patient families. They're a professional. So that's why I have a problem with people saying a profession must have a barrier to entry. Therefore, we must have barriers to be a professional. Wait a minute. You're a professional because you act professionally. You exude professionalism. That's what makes you a professional. And, and right there, we're back to the English muffin, Right. It's no, we've always done it this way. Well, wait a minute. Aren't we in the business of questioning the way we've always done it? There, untie that. And, no, no, no. I mean, that, that's going to be an interesting one because it's all about, as you're saying, it's a perspective and it's how you look at it. Now, the funny part is that, you know, if you did take a listen, even though you experienced the episode, but if you did take a listen to the episode at the end of the episode last time, I did issue, I will call it a challenge or an invitation, however you want to look at it, for Jennifer McNeely and Diane Stegall, either one to come on. And I would love to further this conversation. I think that you would be a great person, you know, to carry out this conversation with them, to be honest with you, because I would love to get their perspective. Because, yeah, we can sit here until our face are blue in regards of talking about it, but they right now, we'll call them the big dogs, are inside of that organization. One being the CEO and the other one being the president. So, okay, what what is their point of view? Well, Jay, 
Now, I don't know their point of view, but let me throw a an idea at you. In 2000, I did a little sailboat race called the Single-Handed Transpac, right? Got on a boat in San Francisco, sailed it to Kauai. One of the racers won that race. It was not me. I did not win. And we were all uh, drinking and partying and having a good time because we, you know, we had seen the mountain and survived metaphysically. Um, and this person was talking about how in two years they were going to do the race again. And one of the older racers pulled him aside right over by me. So I happened to overhear this and it was, it was a shockingly beautiful statement. He said, why do you want to do it again? He said, Oh, cause it, it was great. And, and maybe I could win. He said, if you do it again and you don't win, that makes your win this year in question. If you do it again and you win, big deal. You've already done it. What do you have to gain? So what what do uh, either of those ladies or anyone else from the society, National Society side of the ASSP have to gain by talking about this in this forum? I'll be happy if they'll talk about it behind closed locked doors. There's no, there's no win in it for them that I can see to, to come on the show and talk about it. You're um, a terrible salesman. I want to give you that out there. No, I'm joking. No, I mean, I understand. I mean, I entirely understand where you're coming from, but here's the thing. What I, th what a lot of people get scared of is actually the whole thing of, well, I have editorial rights and I can actually control the edit. That's why I said, Hey, you can do it live. And I think that this is something that, people are interested in and people want to know that it's not a diploma mail and they also want to know that it's not a money grab. And this gives you the opportunity that at one shot, you can tell several people what your thought processes are. Here's why we're doing it in this particular fashion. And if they're even considering some of the other things that people are bringing up. Now, keep in mind, I am not the only person to ever bring up the subject. I am not the only person to put it on a recording, on a podcast, on whatever format you on any medium that you can think of, of having this exact same conversation. But there's a lot of people that will have the conversation behind closed doors, but will not have it in public because I don't want to be the outcast, the black sheep, whatever you want to call it, the redheaded stepchild. I am because the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> That's why I threw that in there. But that's what I that's what I want you to think about. So that's why I want to give them the opportunity. And that's why I say we can do it on the live format. That way, nobody turns around and says, well, you edited for it to say this. No, I don't want to edit anything. Matter of fact, I hate editing if I can avoid it. But uh, I, I guess all I'm trying to do is see their perspective. And right. from their perspective, even if they want to make some of these changes, Right, there is there is always a group that is happy with the status quo, and they are afraid of change. And some members of this group may be, you know, members of the ASSP. 
Okay, some may be, right? People don't like change. So if if I were, uh, you know, someone who was worth listening to, I would probably think twice about being on this show with you and talking about these subjects. Luckily, I'm not someone who's worth listening to, so I have no qualms about saying this stuff. I totally disagree. And I think that several of my audience actually agrees with me that you're that you are worth listening to. I'll tell you, I have never done an interview back to back um, with the same person. Um, we did a like a, a feature story at one point where we had three parts, but it was kind of a diff- whole bunch of different people on there. But we've never done the same guest twice in a row. Um, we've never even split an episode and we're not even splitting this one. This is two separate conversations, which is the fun part. So we, I was so interested in having you on even when we finished our conversation and yes, people will say, well, we, I'm sure you don't look at the numbers. Now I like it when people download because I'm always interested and people have been gaining traction in regards to this particular episode, um, that it came out before. So I wanted to make sure that when you came back on, we could continue the conversation because I normally don't try to go too long. I try to go normally about 30 minutes. We went close to an hour the last time. Yep. We're almost on the verge of an hour right now. But this is the thing. Well, no, I mean, I look at it that I go, you bring value and you bring a, a great discussion. And I understand what you're saying about what's the value to them on come, them coming on. To be quite honest with you, it would have put them in a difficult position, probably to some extent. But it's also the opportunity to listen to people or talk to people that is not their normal cup of tea. And here's the great thing. It's not like I'm going to open up the phone lines and say, hey, let's take some calls and have people ask you questions because that I think would be unfair to some extent because I know how some people can be when they get on the phone and on the show because they try to annihilate other people just kind of the way that it goes. as, As we practice more and more social distancing, we get more and more comfortable with, yeah, taking sniper shots at people. All right. And, I, and we and I deal with key, keyboard tough guys all the time or tough ladies, however you want to look at it. And that's OK. I have no problem with it. Um, I always tell people that I normally don't normally read the comments when I'm doing the, the live video show. I do. But I just I don't look at them. But I look at it from this particular standpoint. I just want a point of view. And I ha- I can tell you, I had somebody reach out to me and tell me, hey, listen, if you pay real close attention to what's going on, they're trying to push away Jennifer McNeely from any of these things related to the conference at the moment. And they're really focusing on Diane Stiegel on actually having a lot of the conversations because she's out at the in the middle of what is it towards the end of June. So you'll see a lot more conversations with with um, Diane because of that, which I was like, that's pretty smart. But that's not something that I would care to know. But so I don't even know if Diane would actually be willing to come on. At one point, we did have a discussion where she said she would come on. And then I never heard from her again. Well, uh, I, I've met her. She no pressure seems, on you, by the way. I, I've met her. She <laughs> seems to be a very intelligent and very thoughtful uh, person. So I don't think it's out of some sense of self-protection or anything like that. I think it's just logical. <laughs> well, no, and the, the funny part was that I was like, I told her because we, we were having this conversation in person and it was actually here in Orlando because they were actually scouting the convention center and uh, we met up and we were having a conversation. And during the conversation, I was like, you're going to, you're agreeing to come onto my show. And I was like, do you know what I, what I talk about? And she said, yes. And she goes, also keep in mind. And I was like, so no subject's going to be off topic. She goes, I'm a voted in position. Just keep that in mind. So I was like, okay. So I took that and said, hey, 
that's free game. But after that, I tried to contact her and it has been crickets since then. So it is what it is. Uh, you know, uh, believe me, I'm not expecting you to say anything on that. That's perfectly fine. So no pressure there on you. But I'm just saying this is what has occurred. But my whole thing as this whole thing started was the issue with the conference. And yes, I think it's a great idea to, to have the conference. I'm not saying that it's not, but it's just also safety and health related. So how are we protecting the people? And that's what it boils down to for me. Well, but let me throw an idea out at you, Jay. Okay. As safety and health professionals, should we constantly focus on the worst possible, right? And put in place so many barriers, right? So the whole zero harm idea. So right now, basically, the United States is sitting at home. Now, some people are working from home, like you and like people making software programs and other things, right? Um, And some people are twiddling their thumbs or breaking things around their house or walking their dog or whatever. Okay, so we made a bunch of worst case projections and we said, this could be really bad. Let's do this. Right. What we have no way of knowing, and I'm not saying end the lockdown, I'm saying we have no way of knowing what unplanned outcomes will occur from the lockdowns, right? How, how many people will not go get their health screening at their practitioner and so their cancer advances that they never knew they had because the doctor hadn't found it yet. Right. And then they they perish. Now, the odds are that is a smaller number. Right. These are odds. We're guessing. And no matter what happens with our economy and everything else, we're going to have to assume that what we did was right. So. Me, personally, I find it refreshing that they're still planning to hold it because they can cancel it two weeks before and it has the same effect for me. You know what I'm saying? Whether they cancel it now or cancel it in, in a month, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any difference to me. Now, I know some people really, really like to know what they're doing month from now, two months from now, three months from now. Some people are working and have to make plans. Some people have families and, uh, you know, have to make plans. I'm, I'm footloose and fancy free. So that part of it doesn't, doesn't bother me. And the whole, the whole thought of, well, wait a minute, we could be endangering people. We may be endangering some people by canceling it right now. Right. Hypothetically, I don't know that to be true. So I'm okay with them handling the logistics of that however they want. And and, you know, I'm not a fan of all of their decisions. So it's not like I'm trying to kiss (laughs) off. Okay. Right. Sure. You're not not towards the end of the episode or anything. Um, But but the thing is. From my perspective. 
that's not it's just not that big a deal. And and if we plan on having it and then we figure out a way to do it virtual and even have virtual networking, right? Cuz cuz there's all kinds of uh video and textual and uh, audio. Let's make sure we said that correctly. Textual. I don't want you to, anybody to think the wrong thing there. Oh, terribly sorry. Tutual. So, I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, right? If, if we want to find ways to do things, we can do it. Um, so I guess it just it just doesn't seem to chap my hide as much as it seems to chap yours and many many other people's. In, in well, it's not a chap. It's not a chap. The it's not a chap the hide thing. It's just perspective. Yeah, and that's what that's what and that's what I'm looking for because I would imagine that other safety people or not safety people people that look at the safety groups would say this is what they're doing, and is it okay based on what's going on. So I guess that's how I'm looking at it in its perspective. So it could, you could take, you could run with that a thousand different ways. You're saying you got to cut the English muffin before you throw it in that toaster slot. Well, you could say it that way to some extent too. That's one of the, that's one of the thousand ways you can do it. Well, Bill, I appreciate you actually doing two episodes back to back with me. Cause I know that this is sometimes not the easiest thing, especially interacting with me for that kind of period of time. At least that's what some people say. So where can people find out more information about you if they want to? I am on LinkedIn. Darts can be thrown at LinkedIn. Darts can be thrown at me. Um, Don't say that. You never know. He gave us permission to do so. But they're going to do it whether I give them permission or not. So it doesn't matter. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm up on LinkedIn. I've got my uh, Uncle Bill safety minute. Uh, Uncle Bill zombie apocalypse minutes those are both uh video type things um i i write a character known as dirk bloodbath safety professional and there are several stories up on uh, on linkedin and uh you know on occasion i comment about stuff like hop and resilience engineering and safety too and safety differently and safety 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 oh sorry the important stuff the the important stuff (laughs) well bill i appreciate you actually coming on to the show once again not a problem well this brings another episode of the jay allen show to an end i hope you enjoyed the conversation with bill I want to tell you, you know, a lot of people think that we're sitting around and having these conversations trying to start controversy, and that's not the thing. It's actually having the open conversation on what can be done to enhance what we are currently doing and how we're able to obtain certain credentials. That's not exactly how I started down this path. Originally, my concern was related to the ASSB Safety 2020, as we have discussed already in the past. Hopefully, the president or the CEO of the American Society of Safety Professionals will take me up on my offer and make an appearance here on the Jay Allen Show or on Safety FM before or on May the 5th. Let's see what happens. Well, this brings another episode to an end. Don't worry. We'll be back before too long. Goodbye for now. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.